The Lord's Day this week, we lifted a paragraph out of 2 Corinthians that deals with the importance of realizing that we are ambassadors with the important ministry of reconciliation uh, conveyed through us to the Lord's world. That paragraph is actually one section of a much larger section where Paul is making the argument even more broadly. And I wanna open our eyes to that sort of broader section of 2 Corinthians today on Beyond the Notes. Much of the book of 2 Corinthians is concerned with uh, Paul building the case for his own apostleship, which apparently had come under some criticism there in the church at Corinth. And there's a lot of, uh, of gold to be mined out of that. But in the section at hand, it seems that there was an argument that had arisen within the church at Corinth over whether or not it even mattered that individuals shared their faith with other individuals. Should the church as a, as a corporate body be committed to the principle that individuals ought to, as we say it here at McGregor, live missionally. And Paul builds this, this marvelous chain of paragraphs. And let me tell you what flags that when you're, when you're reading anything, but especially in a Pauline epistle for our purposes here, I'll be on the notes. The paragraphs will begin with, with transitional language. And if you look at uh, the section we looked at on the Lord's Day, 5, 16 through 21, the sentence has a therefore in it right at the beginning, from now on, therefore. So he's building in a sequence. He's leaning into a previous idea. And so one good thing to do is to look at the, the surrounding text and, and ask yourself, all right, if I, if I trace back that therefore, what is it leaning into? Or as uh, pastors have famously said forever, what is the therefore, therefore? So if we look back at the, at, the, at the chain of argumentation, what you would find is there actually is a, a logical unit of thought that begins in chapter 4, verse 7. And even at 4, 7, the sentence begins with the word but. So he's contrasting with an earlier idea. But if we start pulling that thread, we're going to go way far back. There is a major unit of thought that begins with his statement in chapter 4, verse 7. And the idea that he introduces is... We have here and now, we have here and now to be used of God to share the gospel into the lives of others. It's an important and urgent part of what it is to be a Christian. Our own, our own ongoing discipleship is supposed to be discipling us up into increasing levels of competence and confidence to be used of God to share our faith with others. The first paragraph in this chain of thought is in 4, 7 through 16. And it, it's talking about mortality. We have this treasure in 4, 7. We have this treasure, that is the treasure of the gospel, the reality of the gospel. We have it in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Those, that figure of speech there, jars of clay, speaks to both our comparative fragility 
and our our transitory nature. We're we are the clay jars, and and nobody highly values a clay jar. Think of a a, a, a clay uh, flower pot. If you have fancy plants, you don't put them in a clay flower pot. The clay flower pots for what's not fancy because they're comparatively cheap and they're a bit fragile. And here Paul says, that's what we are. And we, we carry around in our body, he says, the, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be evident or manifested in our bodies in, in verse 10. So he talks about the, the decaying failure prone jars of clay that, that we are in contrast to the glorious message of the gospel that we communicate. That transitions into another paragraph that begins at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And that paragraph begins with a for, which is, again, causatively leaning back to the jars of clay idea in the previous paragraph. For we know that life is passing. 1 through 5 of chapter 5 deals with the transitory character of life. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about our body, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, that our eternal state will be more glorious and more permanent than our present state. In this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And we live our lives in the awareness that the opportunities of this life, including this central opportunity for involvement in the king's enterprise of sharing his message. Well, it's a passing thing. Then he transitions at 5, 6 through 10 into yet another paragraph. He's still building the whole major idea of life is passing and fleeting and the priority of being on task to share our faith. In 5, 6 through 10, the theme becomes the coming judgment. So, again, transitory at the start of the paragraph, still continuing the same unit of thought. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, for we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, that's often paraphrased and uh, a little bit taken out of context when people talk about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. But this is one of the verses that gives rise to that idea that when we are not at home here, we will be at home with Jesus if we know Jesus. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is, every believer is going to give an account of the use of opportunities, resources, and the things the Lord gave us. Remember, the judgment on believers is not a judgment of sin. It's a judgment of stewardship. Perhaps that is a rabbit we can chase another time. That leads to yet another paragraph in 5, 14 through 15 that talks about the love of Christ for sinners. Therefore, knowing the fear, actually 5, 11 through 13, I could read my own notes. 5, 11 through 13 is the next paragraph, and it deals with the fear of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That is, we desire to be obedient, and we are, we are fearful of being found in disobedience. Also, we fear the consequences of sin for those who do not yet know Jesus. 
And then verses 14 and 15, yet another unit of thought that centers on the love of Christ for sinners. Verses 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us. Wow, what a statement. That ought to be highlighted in your Bible. For the love of Christ controls us, not our own selfish desires, not our own desire to generate our own priorities and prerogatives. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That is, if we are believers, Christ's death for us should lead to our dying back to his priorities. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him or who for him who for their sake died and was raised. Another verse that alludes to the substitutionary principle that we talked about on the Lord's day. And then we come to this paragraph that we talked about on Sunday that the, uh, the different regarding and the different reality, the different reconciliation and the different role as we take on and are assigned the role of ambassadors. And then there's one last paragraph that concludes this unit of thought. I believe it goes down through 613. At 614, he takes up a different subject, but 6.1 through 13 continues this ambassadorial role and its importance but I want to read this paragraph because I think it's important. 6 through 1 through 13 talks about the consequences. Some might be saying, if I were to live the way that the Word of God here is suggesting, if I were to devote myself to the priority of sharing my faith, even as my life has other moving parts, even as I'm seeking to be a good parent or a good grandparent or a good sibling or a good child and a good employee and a good citizen and a good student and all those other things, if I were to take on the, the priority of an ambassador, might it have some very real consequences in this present life? Well, may as well turn your face into that because it might. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live." as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And he wraps up this whole multi-paragraph argument with this. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So the entire multi-paragraph argument spanning at least two chapters of the book of 2 Corinthians ends with this 
direction. As you look at what Christ has done for you and look at the great need around you, widen your heart. Hey, I hope by now you found these podcasts to be a blessing. I hope you're liking it, sharing it with your friends. I pray today was a blessing to you as well. And I look forward to being with you again on a future episode of Beyond the Notes.